And our scripture for the morning comes from the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We must grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. This is the Word of God for the people of God. This is one of the many letters that Paul writes to early Christians or to groups of people who are meeting who have decided that God has come to the world through Jesus Christ. And he writes them and corresponds with them. Some of the times he's been to the places, sometimes he has not. This is one of those letters he has written. But an interesting thing that he says in this letter, Paul identifies himself as the prisoner in the Lord, as a prisoner in the Lord. Have you ever thought of yourself as a prisoner in the Lord? Or as a captive of Christ is how it's put in some other places in Scripture? Paul was a prisoner literally at the hands of the Roman authorities on different occasions during his life. But I think he means much more here than just the fact that he might be in prison at one time or another. I think what he wants us to think about is that to be captive of Christ or a prisoner in the Lord, that every thought and action is captive of Christ, is an effort to live in alignment with Christ. Paul makes a contrasting statement between this captive to Christ and being captive to sin. And I think you understand the contrast and the difference he's making. But Paul says in this section that we read 
that God, through Christ, has given us gifts which can set us free from the guilt and the power of sin. You heard it perhaps in that very first verse. Paul writes, I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You think about your life as one that has a call upon it? That once you declared yourself to be a follower of Christ, you were saying you wanted to be captive to Christ in all that you would say or do from there forward. Paul's saying you have been called. Lead a life worthy of your calling in Christ. He goes on to name some of the marks or characteristics of what a life lived in that fashion would look like. In verse 2, he lists these characteristics, humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now that is a high calling to enter every situation with gentleness and humility and patience moving into every relationship or situation, looking for how you can embody the Spirit of God, maintain the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace to treat all people with love. It is a high calling. And it's a struggle for us to live up to that call. And in fact, Paul says in other places that he knows we all fall short of being able to live up to that. Sin, he says, is so tenacious that we easily drift into sin. We become captive to sin and that it can happen anywhere and in an instant. It can happen in a family. It can happen in a marriage. But it can also happen at the grocery store, at the shopping mall, or in traffic. Sin can grip us. And rather than embodying these characteristics of humility and gentleness and patience and love and unity and peace, we find ourselves attacking others or thinking negative thoughts or taking actions that separate us from other people whom we have been related in one way or another. So it can happen to us personally, but it can also happen organizationally. Our own denomination, the United Methodist Church, has been in a long debate and discussion about human sexuality and whether or not we're going to have sexuality as one of the marks of membership in a church. We've been debating this for years. The last time the worldwide delegates got together that represent all of the United Methodists in the world was 2016. They entered into this discussion or debate. It got so ugly that finally they called the debate off. They ceased the discussion. They said, we're not going to talk about this anymore. And they asked the Council of Bishops, which are the leaders of all the different geographical areas where United Methodists reside. They asked the bishops, show us a way forward. Come up with a plan that would allow us to move forward with greater unity and love, etc. Our United Methodist Council of Bishops have suggested that sexuality is not an essential of Christian theology. 
and therefore should not be the basis of entry into a church for any person or the exit or departure for anybody from a church. Their meeting to discuss all of this is going to happen in St. Louis, Missouri at the end of February of this year. I'll keep you posted as we get closer if any announcements are made. Afterward, we'll talk about what happened. In fact, our Barton Clinton Gordy lecture series comes up about 10 days after the end of this general conference. I've asked Bishop Robert Snazy, one of our United Methodist bishops from Texas, who's been very involved in all this discussion and all this work, to come and be our lecturer for the series this year and to talk about the future of the church and where he believes we're going from here. Because at the last general conference, it was pretty clear that this high calling that Christians received from Scripture had been lost in our discussions. So it's a struggle. It is a challenge to live up to the calling of Christ, especially when Paul lists the characteristics and all of us can look at our own lives and say, oh, I missed that one. I stumbled over that one the other day. I'm, but Paul says this... This is possible, not because of who we are, but because of who God is. Paul says this is possible, and he gives us two specific reasons in the text today. First, Paul argues, I've got this in your outline, that it is possible because there is unity or oneness in God. Perhaps you heard that. It's in verses 4 through 6. This is what Paul says at that point. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. Paul is saying, since we are connected to God, we therefore are created to function in unity. That God has made us this way. That God is certainly above all, but not just above all, but that God is running through all and is in all. That God transcends our lives and transcends our sin. That God is at work in every person in the world, even your enemy, even your lazy co-worker that you despise on the job. Or maybe that cranky uncle or cousin or sibling that showed up for your house at Thanksgiving or Christmas. God is at work in their lives, Paul is saying. And that as Christians, we should be looking for that. And we should be embodying love with whomever we're engaging. Now the second reason Paul points out that it is possible is because God has given us gifts through the advent of Christ or the coming of of Christ. He mentions this idea of God giving us gifts several places in the text this morning. In verse 7 it says, but each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Then in verse 8, he gave gifts to his people. Then later if we jump down to verse 11, he wrote, the gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints or the people in the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of christ or for building up the church 
we've each been given gifts. Do you think of your relationship with God as one in which God bestows gifts upon you? Paul says in this letter and lots of other places in his writings that God has given each one of us gifts, that God has a role for every one of us to play within the life of the church, but that God doesn't just give us a role, but gives us a gift that matches the role so that we can equip the body to use Paul's language, so that we can do our part, so we can fulfill our positive role within the body. If you are a part of a church, then you can conclude with certainty that God has given you a gift, that God has a calling upon your life, but also has given you gifts. Now, often we think only as pastors receiving a call from God, but the biblical perspective is that God gives all of us gifts and calls all of us and we each have a role to play and the body is healthiest or the church is healthiest when each of us respond to the call, fulfill our role, express our gift and in that way the body flourishes. That's Paul's perception and experience of how God is working in the world through Christ. I had a seminary professor who was a great teacher. He also began to write books and had some pretty good success with his book writing. He became, as he sold more and more books, more and more wealthy. So wealthy, in fact, that even though seminary professors don't make very much, he was able to go out and purchase a beautiful, large home on the side of a lake where he and his wife lived out their days. But he told me once, he said, David, we've got to be careful he said, I've realized it's so easy for me to drift away from staying engaged in the work of ministry. He said, of course, I'm teaching aspiring pastors, and that's part of my calling. But I'm just keenly aware that it's so easy to drift away that I always make a point to be serving on a board of some group or ministry that's doing work with the poor or work in the inner city. He says, because that keeps me keenly aware of God's call and its larger breadth upon my life and upon all of us to be engaged in the work of ministry through the church. Sin has a tenacious way of getting into our hearts and leading us astray. And Paul's saying, we need to be captive to Christ. Because Christ takes sin as its own captive. I believe my seminary professor was saying, I know that I can be captive to sin, but I want to be captive to Christ. Paul concludes that as we mature in this way of Christ, it looks like love. The last two verses where we read, verse 15 and 16, he speaks of this. Paul writes, but speaking the truth in love. We must grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. So whenever we think about a new year, and our future, or the future of our church, 
Paul says we should be approaching that by thinking about how do we contribute in a positive way? How do we equip and build up? How do we bring God's love alive through our actions and our behaviors and our words? Paul's saying we should treat each and every interaction in which we are engaged as if we are in love. Not in a romantic sense, but in love in the sense of loving one another as Christ loved us. So serving others, equipping others, building others up, contributing to the common good of the body, that kind of love is what Paul is saying is our calling in Christ. Back in September, we had a State of the Church address where I spent some time talking about the history of the church and where we are and where we might be going I told you that I had a group of leaders meeting and they had written a new vision statement for Boston Avenue saying that Boston Avenue United Methodist Church seeks to be a thoughtful Christian community that connects all people with God's unconditional love. That statement, I believe, echoes the same thing that Paul is calling us to this morning in this letter from the Ephesians. He's talking about what it might look like to become mature in Christ or mature in love. We want to be that kind of people. I want us to be that kind of church where we're known as people who are growing in love because we're followers of Christ. I want us to be known for being the people who are full of love of God and love of neighbor. After We revealed that vision statement that we had written. That group of leaders continued to meet. I asked them to begin to think further about how we detail some of those things out. And so our leaders have also articulated seven core values. So the next seven weeks, I'll be taking one each week and talking about why we have used this as a distinctive way that we approach faith or way we describe how we engage in Christian faith together. In addition to the sermons I'll be sharing with you during those weeks, we've asked people out of the congregation to write an article, one each week, on that core value and how they have seen it expressed or lived out within our life together as a congregation. None of us see all the mission and ministry that happens, so these stories we'll be talking about probably some ministry settings that you may have been a part of, but some you may not have been a part of but that are important for all of us to know about as being a part of this body of Christ. You may have seen a series of stories that was in the Christmas edition of our weekly newspaper, The Word. Caitlin Dreich, who's the editor of the paper, said that that week she wanted to gather stories from all of us and then choose some of those to tell the stories of love that's being expressed within the congregation. She tied them to the sermon themes for December, so they were welcome and encouragement. One of them was grace, under the topic of grace. It was a story about a conflict that happened here in the congregation. Not so long ago, Reverend Sarah Pugh Montgomery and Jose Luis Hernandez, who's the director of our after-school Sistema programs, realized they both had a major event on the same night at the same time in Jubilee Hall. Two different groups of people, two different activities scheduled at the same time. 
This has happened in other churches, and you know what sometimes happens in churches is people get so laser-focused on their project and their side of things that conflict breaks out and feelings are hurt and ugly things are said and things degenerate. But not this time. These two began to talk together about how can we make this work? Jose Luis was trying to have a rehearsal. Sarah was trying to have a meal and a worship service. They came up with the idea to say, what instead of just practicing, having these students practice their music, what if they saw it as a concert for the other people that were coming for dinner and worship? They agreed that would be a great idea. So that night when people came for their compassion dinner and prepared for worship, they also heard a great concert. For the students, it was practice before the concert that they were going to do for their parents and others. But for the people who came that night, it was a beautiful Christmas concert. On top of all that, our pilgrimage Sunday school class had volunteered to be those who come and help prepare and serve the meal. Roger Coffey was one of those pilgrimage class members who was here to serve. Now, Roger was also the architect who designed Jubilee Hall, which they were meeting. He told Sarah later, you know, I... I tried to imagine and dream of ministry that would happen as I was designing this building. And tonight I've seen it come alive right before our very eyes. I don't think it's too strong to say that this is a great example of the body working properly, building itself up in love. Thanks be to God.